Hello, welcome to Minding Your Mind, all about your mind, how it works, mental illness and mental health. With me is Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney, as we record this episode on the 11th of March 2022, uh, which is not only a significant date because it's the day before my birthday, but also because Australia is two and a bit months away from a federal election. So it's a very good time to discuss mental health policy and the politics of mental health. The federal and New South Wales governments have are about to announce a five-year multi-billion dollar funding agreement in a step toward the national health plan the Morrison government announced last May. The Commonwealth is going to contribute 56% of the money, um, which at the moment is $216 million to expand Headspace, the National Youth Mental Health Foundation, create five new head-to-health adult mental health centres and provide other services. So that all sounds like good news so far, right? However, the plan's already four months behind schedule. Victoria, Queensland, the ACT and WA, coincidentally all with Labor governments, have not yet reached agreement with the federal government about what they're going to do in their states. The Sydney Morning Herald has quoted an unnamed Victorian government source saying that the feds aren't funding it properly. Victoria's Deputy Premier says the Commonwealth's offer to Victoria doesn't match the size of the reform needed. And the Western Australian Mental Health Minister said the Commonwealth's offer was not commensurate with our need. So what's going on? Are we really going to fall into this federal, state, Labor, Liberal, it's your fault, no, it's your fault thing that we see so often? How will it get sorted out? Will Australia soon have a coherent mental plan that is more than a plan that is actually being implemented and that provides the right services quickly to those who need them? Ian, you were quoted in the uh, Sydney Morning Herald yesterday saying there had never been a commitment problem. It'd been an implementation problem. Commitments are a lot easier than implementations, aren't they? James, I promise to be nice to you. Yeah. <laughs> I promise to be nice to my kids. I promise to be nice to the world. That's a commitment. A commitment. Did you ever? I, I once had a, uh, a, I thought, an appointment with Telstra to um, fix uh, my phone. Where they said, no, no, that wasn't an appointment. That was a commitment. Right. I said, no one ever turned up. They said, yes, that's why it was a commitment, not an appointment. <laughs> we have had in Australia... For 30 years, a national mental health strategy, a 30-year anniversary in 2022. 1992. We have been committed for 30 years. Forget climate change. We're not committed to that. But we have been committed to national mental health reform for 30 years. And yet, in the last few years, we've had a Productivity Commission review. We've had a Royal Commission in Victoria. We've had a series of commitments again by governments. And we're in the middle of a commitment campaign. We've got commitments happening all over the place. Mm. But do we have actually a serious focus on implementation. And the reason I was keen to do this episode is I actually love an election year. I love a federal election year because politicians have to leave Canberra and they go to electorates, marginal ones, rural and regional ones, places they don't normally go. And you go to communities. This happened to Bill Shorten in Woi in the last campaign and to Scott Morrison in Graft and elsewhere. And the first question is often a nice young person in the front row or somebody's mum and it's about youth mental health or it's about suicide prevention. It's not about actual car parks at railway stations. It's not about roundabouts. It's not about other silly things that get promised in campaigns and often don't get built. It's often about human services on the ground. But do you ever hear that back at the other side of things in the middle of an election campaign 
you know, the economy, the unemployment rate. What are we going to have national security this time around? How many billions of dollars announced yesterday for defence forces? Many more army, motokaki, a lot of people on the ground. Mm-hmm. But actually, people want human services, health, aged care, and in our case, mental health to work in their region. So this is actually a call to action, this little podcast. Yep. If you get the chance during this election campaign, please run down to one of those local town hall events with any oh, – this is a non-political party, any political party – and ask the question – what are you going to do about mental health services? Now, the response you'll get is we're all committed. And, in fact, we've had bipartisan commitment. I mean, really, there's not a lot of daylight between the major parties on these issues. We're all committed. But you know what, Ian? It's very hard. It's very difficult. You know, there's a lot of good suggestions and we spend a lot of money. We actually haven't spent a lot of money. We've spent about 7.5% of total health funding since 1992, and it hasn't changed. How many press releases have you read out in your previous job? How many new things have you read, James? Mm. $10 million, $5 million, $100 million. This week, $300 million between the Commonwealth and the states in New South Wales, followed shortly afterwards by $100 million in South Australia. Over the next five years, to start in about 2025, and then we'll generally see how it goes, and you say, but are you going to fix it? Oh, well, that's a bit hard. Don't get, don't get too... Are you going to be accountable? Are you going to... Take it up. So what I'm really, really interested in, this is one of participatory democracy. We actually need people to go out and say, look, I can't get an appointment to see a psychologist. I can't find a child psychiatrist. There isn't an acute service to support me. I've tried, and that was pre-COVID, and now post-COVID, it's really hard. So can we just uh, have a closer look at, at the problem? So how difficult is it? Uh, I, I read some of the psychiatrists' waiting lists are, are very long at the moment. Counselors, you can probably find, I guess, can you? But maybe they have waiting lists. And then also the cost. If you want to see a psych- psychiatrist or a psychologist, you get a bit back, but it's way less than half, isn't it? So this week, the Grattan Institute, one of our great thinkers in this area, Stephen Duckett, in there, has put out a thing not so universal Medicare, <laughs> right? Not so universal yeah. healthcare. And in fact, some of the biggest offenders across the whole area, are in mental health, psychiatrists, psychologists, others. It's become less affordable and less accessible. Demand's gone up. Supply is dysfunctional. Guess what? Price goes up. And actually, there's a big, huge problem. So you just hit the nail on the head. A, a campaign that I'm a patron of, I'm going to say patron of, I'm not really the, being run by ordinary people who are good people, is it going to happen during this election campaign is about waiting lists. Mm. If you want to fix something, you'd want to know what the waiting list was. So guess how we deal with this in mental health? We don't have waiting lists. <laughs> we don't. There isn't a waiting list at your public hospital because really? we have this weird system called it's acute care or nothing, oh. right? So if you've really got an acute problem, we have to deal with it now. Otherwise, there's no waiting. So we don't have the equivalent of hip surgery, eye see, surgery, yeah. called a waiting list. But you do really. I mean, maybe not in hospitals, but some people have long-term psychiatric uh, issues that need need a lot of treatment over a long period of time. So what happens if you ring up a psychologist or psychiatrist now? Well, yeah, we can get you in in May. Which year? <laughs> Not this year. No way, buddy. Yeah. Many will say books are closed. Yeah. Then they'll tell you the cost, actually, of the activity on an ongoing basis. Yeah. That's going to cost you 500 bucks out of pocket up front. I heard a story out of Western Australia last week in a rural place in WA 500 bucks to see the psychiatrist, that's one of my people, above the Medicare rebate. Now, not many people got 500 bucks. That's to see them once, 
<laughs> Many of the psychology services that we have at the moment, you might want to see the psychologist five times or ten times, $100 per session above the actual Medicare cost. Got a 1000 bucks. And yeah. here's another one I love, pay in advance. Like if you pay me for the 10 sessions in advance, then you can come. Like, you know, like really? This is, this is not the That's usual. That's unusual. It's not unusual now. Is that right? Yeah, because I don't want to just book you in once. If I'm going to book you in, I'm going to book you in 10 times. That sounds gonna... slightly unethical. I'm not getting into the ethics here. I'm just reporting the world as right. it is. <laughs> I'm not reading commentary. I'm just reporting on the world. It is. I People... mean, imagine if your GP said that. You, you wouldn't be very happy. Okay, so the issue is particularly harsh in the area. Especially, I've spent a lot of time. There's a lot of, interestingly, this, in this election, there's a number of doctors, GPs and others running as independents in a variety of electorates. Mm. Guess what? They've had enough of all this. Mm. They're not only running on climate change and integrity and accountability, they're running on a health system that doesn't work either, including guess where the number one offender is, mental health. Mental health. Yeah, because Mo- people, know, people need and know, and they know it's not getting fixed locally. So my understanding is under the federal government's uh, plan slash commitment, there is going to be funding directed to create more nurses, psychologists, and psychiatrists. Is that right? And if so, when will we get them? Not for a few years, I presume. You heard of the nuclear subs? Uh, yeah. What year are they arriving? No, I don't care. <laughs> right. So we do care about these. Yeah. So that issue, we're commitments. And, and some things have changed. One of the commitments of the New South Wales government to try and fund medical people in Headspace, for example, is a very good commitment. But the workforce issue is really serious. So there's two things. What do the highly paid specialists do? And we need them to do more of the assessments to see people early, not late. And we early need to intervention. Early your cash yeah. guys. You've got to be on the right – in healthcare, you've got to be on the right pathway. And often, as we discuss here, James, part of the reason we do this is to increase public understanding because you've got to have good information when you go into the system mm. in order to get a good response. And you need to see people who know what they're doing in order to get the right care. That's true for cancer care. It's true for infection. It's true for heart disease. There's a skilled element to this to get on the right pathway. If you're on the right pathway, then the chance that you get good care is much increased. And the average punter knows that. Yeah. And increasingly, we're a very mentally aware society. People know that more. So they get some you – know, a really nice psychologist I really like, I was talking to this morning, and she said, you know, if the interaction with any health professional is you go in and you say, I'm depressed, and the health professional says, you know what, you're depressed. <laughs> That's actually not an advance. And they say – you, can you help? And they go, oh, not really. I'm not that skilled at it. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I already knew what it was. Yeah. But I, what I wanted was help. And whether that was with an eating disorder or a drug and alcohol problem or a major depressive or other illness, I want skilled intervention. I want the team of people who can help to be there. But you can't get that unless the system is working in your local area and organised between state and federal, organised between private and public, and is affordable and accessible. But if the if the new funding plan, when it gets implemented and becomes more implemented and less of a commitment of actually happening, if it is going to create more nurses, psychologists, and psychiatrists, yes, you can say, look, this should have been done five years ago, but they can't really do much more, can they? Yes. And then say, now let's start to train them so at least in a few years we've got them. You'd have to say the how. So implementation is all about the how, not the commitment. Of course we need more nurses, doctors, wherever else. I mean, we haven't invested in those care professions. A big issue in the post-COVID world. This is true in childcare. It's true in aged care. Yeah. We've had royal commissions. Did you do it? No. Nah. So I am sick to death of hearing about what we're going to do 
with no plan about how we're going to do but it. But I thought there was a plan about nope, it. Nope, there's, there's a plan not. about the money. Right. The how. So how are we going to spend it? And because so, of how so how should it be spent? On the specific training issues, but also creating the services. Now, in training- if so just exp- Sorry, just expand on both of them, training issues and services. What are right. training issues? They're left and right arm issues. How yeah. do you get up having neurosurgeons? They're not born. You don't get them from a factory. Right. You actually got to train them through a whole system. Yep. And this happens in our public hospitals and public services all the time. Now, <clears throat> if you go into your local public hospital, you'll meet a team of people- <laughs> Some people who just started today in that mm. profession, junior nurses, junior doctors, junior social workers, junior psychologists. And over time, that whole team will have people who are graduating through their experiences to become the specialists of the future. You have the training system and the experience of learning goes together. Mm. You don't just go and do a university course and become a neurosurgeon. You don't just go and do a university course and become a really skilled psychologist or psychiatrist. So the training bit has to go to it. Now, the training bit we also use in public hospitals to make it accessible and affordable. You go to a public hospital in Australia, you don't get a bill if you're using the ordinary system. Yeah. But you're also actually part of the training and development of those workforces for the future yep. in particular ways. So you have to have the placements, the training experiences supported in our public health systems that are training the specialists of the future. You have to create those places. You have to fund them and then support them and then support the people who do the training, right. which are the more experienced specialists, they're the universities, they're the colleges and other things that support those issues. Is you actually have indi- to implement it. Is there any indication that there is a change to doing that better? No. Are you hopeful that there might be once this plan gets... Not the- by announcing funding, right? but by implementation. So this is the what you can never see when you're a consumer of health services is there's a system behind it. Yeah. You know, where did the surgeon come from? All my favourite surgeons who are about my age, they weren't just born there. Yeah, I got <laughs> They've got 40 years of experience of having walked, worked through the public health system and the private health system, and, and most of them are actually contributing to the training of the future things. Mm. But they are limited, and it's very good in some areas, in you know, some areas of surgery and some areas of other areas of medicine. It's very good. But in our area, it's not. It's never been built, never been coordinated, never been funded. You, now I'll get political. University-supported places... <laughs> <laughs> University supported places, Commonwealth funded places in psych- clinical psychology, for example, because they're not in hospitals. Most medical training is in hospitals. That needs to be supported by the Commonwealth. That's a very specific Commonwealth expenditure in universities because that's where training comes. That needs to be linked to things like headspace centres, new health hubs. So governments have said this forever. And if I sound a little bit grumpy and a little bit difficult, little. every initiative I've been associated with, the foundation of headspace, many other things, yeah, 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 we're going to do the training bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you know what? It's hard. It, it, hard. it actually requires coordination. Federal and state working together, community working with the professions, and then making it affordable and accessible to people and skilled. The other thing I really hate is to turn around and say, you don't really need a skilled person in our area. You need a friend. Uh, I go, no, I want a child psychiatrist. Yeah. Someone's ringing me this morning, desperate to see a child psychiatrist. A lot of what you'll get in our area is, no, you need a friend. Right. And no, no, I want a friend. I like friends. I really, yeah. I'd, I'd like some more, please. But I don't want government to fund my friendships. I want them to fund skilled professionals. Yeah. So in our area, a lot of excuses go on. You can have, I mean, I'm associated with technology, but you can have an app mm. or you can have a friend, but you can't have a skilled professional. Mm. You go, hang on a sec, hang on a sec. We can have technology, and I'm a big advocate of using technology appropriately right. here, but also I need access or we need access to the right teams of professionals working together 
And this is finance room. This is why the productivity commission, myself and my close friend, patron of all most of these things, Alan Fells, when he was the chair of the National Mental Health Commission, myself and the others said, this thing needs to go to the productivity commission. Stop sending it to the health department. You know, they're not so good at these things because mm. this is money and it's wealth and it's investment. You've got to structurally change the system. We are sitting here now three years later, having referred it to them back in 2016 or something. We're sitting here in 2022 waiting for the federal government response to do it. Wow. Now, if the expression waiting for Godot doesn't mean anything to you <laughs> and you don't know that Godot never turns up in yeah. the play, yeah. let's just say – in mental health reform, the expression waiting for Godot has been used a I'm lot. Sure. So that you, you were talking about training services. Um, New South Wales, which is so far, I think, the only state that's reached agreement with the federal government. There are There is funding for services there to expand headspace to five new head-to-health adult mental health centres. Is that is that heading in the right direction? Yes. Now, the New South Wales announcement, now this is, this is so Australian, there's no national agreement. Right. These, we're no, supposed to have had the national course, agreement sorry, no. followed by the state agreements, which are the bilateral carve-ups of the last federal government, extra $2 billion, good in good in theory, get out the door. And of course, that was announced last May, big hoopla. Mm. Agreements on the ground, services on the ground as a consequence since, hasn't happened. We're out. So we're having the bilaterals before we have the national. South Australia has actually announced this week, similarly, they've signed off, so New South Wales and South Australia. The focus of a lot of that money, yes, is good. So it'd be nice here. The focus of the New South Wales spend, the focus of the South Australian spend on early intervention, on following up people after suicide attempts, on investment in more specialised hubs, these are all good. Mm. But you've got to actually do them. You've got to read to the second page of the press release when. And then the one that's not there, how. Right. So if I sound a little grumpy and a little difficult about a press release is not a plan and a commitment about funds – so what's happened in mental health before, not to be too cynical, is we've said in the forward estimates we're going to commit money and then we go, oh, you know what? We didn't spend it. So we took it back again and then we re-announced it again. <laughs> you know, oh, wow. that's, you know, so – and the general public – the general public in Australia is a trusting group of people. Mm. You know, we just generally think we've got a health system that works, except I'd suggest to you, you go try and get – a good mental health service at the moment. You work in the areas where I work in and others get rung up every day, try and get someone into care, try and find a particular thing. COVID made it, it was hard. COVID's made it harder. The demands for young people, for those who are poorer, for those who have less advantage, for those who are in rural and regional areas, it's big. So, you know, it is one of those points in time where in a participatory democracy, we get the chance <laughs> to go, hang on a second, what do we care about? You know, and actually, would we then vote? for particular people in particular electorates on the basis they might actually do something on the ground on these issues. One point of disagreement between the Commonwealth and states is funding of the missing middle. Now, the missing middle are those who are too sick to be treated by GPs or psychologists, but not sick enough to get admitted to hospital. They go to hospital and they say, sorry, you don't meet the criteria. What sort of support do the missing middle need? Multidisciplinary, specialised, affordable care in non-hospital settings. Like Now, to put that into English, yeah. <laughs> imagine the Harbour Bridge, okay? The classic analogy here is the Harbour Bridge. On one side, you've got the states building hospitals for acute care. One to three percent of the population requires acute hospital-type care, public hospital, very accessible. It covers forensic care, involuntary care, sort of stuff that's acute, it's bad, emergency departments, et cetera. That's one bit of the Harbour Bridge. And 
Dan Andrews in Victoria is putting $3.8 billion, forget the Commonwealth's two for the whole nation, into rebuilding that part of the bridge because oh. it itself is so run down. Yeah. He's had a royal commission. That'll still, at its best, cover about 2% of the Victorian population, despite the amount of money he's going to spend and he's going to make it better. On the other side, from the other headland, is what the Commonwealth's responsible for. And it says, look, we're, first of all, we're just the payment. We're just the so insurer. specifically, the Commonwealth is responsible for? They say GPs. Yep. Medicare payments to specialists and the pharmaceutical benefit system. Right. So anyone who gets treated for a mental health issue who's not in hospital? No. We wish they said, well, yeah, that's what you think it would mean. And they go, no, 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 only for the services that we cover. And you go, well, actually what you do then is a lot of primary care stuff and only a very small amount. Primary care meaning? GP, family, first up. First in, mild, not much of a problem. So often you say to a GP, you know, can you – Refer me to a psychologist or someone. They give you a mental health plan that enables you to get a rebate. That's part of that? Four sessions, 10 sessions. Yeah, limited, limited. And in fact, that's what it was. There's a lot of debate about this. And you have to be old and grumpy enough like me for 2001 to know what the Medicare coverage for psychology was about. It was for time-limited brief intervention for common but rate-limiting problems. So- we got stuck at about 2006, mm-hmm. one side of the bridge being built by the states and they've gone backwards, not forwards, and under demand pressure they're finding it even harder to afford those things. The community bit um, historically by the Commonwealth for primary care and then stopping and there's a huge bit in the middle, a whole lot of people who need more serious mood disorders, drug and alcohol problems, eating disorders, complicated problems, bipolar disorder, need care outside of hospitals on an ongoing basis that's more specialised Involves more, it involves psychiatrists, psychologists, often social workers involving other mental health nurses, working in teams, working in combination with housing support, with other sorts of welfare support. And guess what? You're like the person in the middle of the bridge who's falling into the harbour. So, There's so, no coordinated service system there for those people. So what would it ideally look like from your point of view if it was there? So historically, we had a discussion with the Rudd government at one stage, and Nicola Roxon, very good health minister, that the Commonwealth take over the full responsibility. Okay, you should build the whole bridge. Mm. We got that close. (laughs) I think in the famous expressions of the time, it didn't last from late line to lunchtime and got killed. Right. Because the Commonwealth went, hang on a second, that's a big thing. We'd be Mm. doing this little thing, and the the states aren't going to move. Nothing's going to happen. Now, John Howard and Maurice Yammer at the time said, oh, we should really work on this. This was it's pre uh, Kevin Rudd, if I get the sequence right here. There have been several attempts to take it on. And in the current discussion with the Productivity Commission and everything else, it's going to take it on. Where have we got to? Yes, that's what we should do. And that's what the Productivity Commission said. We should create the whole spectrum of services. But, but just when, I, I just want you to put yes. more flesh on the bones of what the whole f- spectrum of services is. So I've got, uh, I've got, severe depression and anxiety and it's kind of complex for various It ain't going away in 10 minutes. Yeah, that's right. But but what would the world you're hoping will one day occur? How will it be different? I'll still go to the GP, but instead of the GP saying, here's a couple of psychologists, try them, they're probably busy for a while, what will happen next? You'd be down the road at a, at a clinic or a clinical service. It's got a... Skilled psychiatrist yeah. in the area in which you work. Now, you might have post-traumatic stress. You might have an eating disorder. You might have bipolar disorder, severe mood disorder. Somebody who actually knows something about that and the complex pharmacology that surrounds that and its impacts. And so, also, so the GP said there's a clinic down the road. You can probably make it a Even better, the GP's part of that clinic. Even yeah. better, 
They've got GPs, they've got medical people in those clinics. So the GP doesn't just sit on their own pretending they can do it. The GP doesn't sit there pretending they can do cancer care on their own. Yeah, right. The GP might still be part of the cancer care or the diabetes or other clinics ongoing because the problem doesn't go away entirely. A group, a team of professionals, often a general medical person, particularly young people, a psychiatrist, a clinical psychologist, if need be, and a dietitian around eating disorders. It may well be a physiotherapist or physical therapy person about physical activities that we talk about all the time. It may be an occupational therapist. It's got employment support. It's got education support to get you in the time frame that you need back to functioning and support you to stay there. Mm. And supported by smart technology to coordinate it, to get you into that system, right care first time, and it takes care of you on an ongoing basis. Do you know what's telling, actually? I've heard from a number of people, particularly people who've had kids with mental health issues. Yeah, we went to the doctor and then and then someone told me about this great psychologist. A friend told me about this great psychologist. I've never heard anyone say, I went to the uh, GP and they referred me to a cancer specialist. But then a friend told me, no, there's this other great cancer specialist. So I guess my point is, with physical health, the medical world seems to really have its shit together. Like, go to this guy and then go to that person and then go to that person. Whereas what you find in mental health is that people are just doing it kind of much more informally. Look, the GP kind of had a bit of an idea, but not much. But I actually was really lucky because my friend had a kid with a similar problem and they had a psychologist who was terrible, but then they had a psychologist who was great. Is that fair? Harsh, but fair. Yeah. Harsh, but I would say entirely accurate. You are reflecting the reality on the ground. You are fortunate if you know someone who knows even where a good person is or a bad person. Yeah. I was talking to a radio host a while ago, James, not you on this occasion, Yeah. who said he heard people sitting in Bondi Junction talking about good and bad specialists in mental health and good and bad drugs in mental health. And he said to me, isn't that terrible? I went, on the contrary, no, that's, that's good. great. That's yeah. exactly what they should say, that that's the best hospital up the road, that's the best specialist. And not only that, every GP should know that and it should be clear, where do you go for the best treatment? Mm. You can know where the best treatment for melanoma is or the best treatment for breast cancer or the best treatment for heart disease. You should know which hospital, which clinics, which things deliver the best care and you should know what the best care is. You shouldn't have to rely on the anecdotal advice of a friend. Oh, I met somebody nice. She seemed to be a nice psychologist or he seemed to be a nice psychiatrist. Or yeah, but I don't know if they're any good. Mm. You should know that they're actually delivering the best possible treatment. And the other treatments that are available that you don't even know about, new treatments, novel treatments, experimental treatments, where can you go to get them? So you're informed in that area. The lack of transparency. So we talk about a busted supply chain. <laughs> you know, right. people are really aware of the what supply. What do you mean by that? You know, vaccines. Mm. What do vaccination require? A supply chain. Somebody had to approve them. Somebody had to purchase them. Somebody had to deliver them. That had to connect with the populations. And that had to be affordable. Guess what? Suddenly, the Commonwealth and the states had to come up with a supply chain that actually worked. Mm. And each of them, when they tried to muck around with it, what happened? They messed it up didn't work well in aged care, didn't work well in disability, there was delays or problems. People went, oh, you know what? Guess what? Even in vaccination, the Australian healthcare system is not that organised. Mm. We would say in mental health, the supply chain to deliver good services is busted. Right. It was never there. There's big gaps in it. There are bits you can find if you can afford it, if it happens to be there, if it happens to be available. And people don't even know necessarily what good care is because they've never seen it. Mm. So your question, what would it look like, is partly the quizzical look you're giving me. I don't even really know what it looks like. I wouldn't even necessarily recognise it if I saw it. I would say if you experienced it, you would. Well, I would imagine what it would look like. Like I go to um, 
the GP, I know there's about five doctors there and two physiotherapists. And when they're doing vaccines, they had a nurse coming in and doing vaccines. And it's really good if they can say, you should see the physio. This isn't really a doctor thing. It's a physio thing. And they're in room four. You know, that's really great. So if you could do that with mental health. That's that a one-stop awesome. shop. That's yeah. a one-stop shop that works. I mean, and we and people are making these choices. So the GP sitting alone on their own referring thing is a dead system. It's no yeah. good for any healthcare. I, for those who've seen me try and be sporty, it's a tra- sad and tragic thing. So I once fell over in Melbourne on the show courts, you know, badly, badly sprained my ankle. But mm. they have a sports clinic there. Yeah. So the next day I was there, right, there's a GP person. Fortunately, I hadn't busted it. <laughs> So x-rays had the test that needed. There's a physio there. There's someone to supervise it. If it didn't go well, there was a specialist support behind it. It was all organised. The supply chain to fix my little ankle was fabulously functional. Mm. I got the GP. I got the medical assessment I needed. I got the investigation I needed. I got the physiotherapy I needed, and they saw me through to recovery. Can you imagine that? That's That's exactly what should happen, and it's organised around the problem. It's not organised around each of those individual health professions needs. It isn't all over the place. I didn't have to drive to 10 different places to get it. I didn't have to negotiate. The price was clear, what it would cost, what was involved. They were very clear about the plan, what would happen. If the plan didn't go well, what would be the next step, like review by a specialist, et cetera, if things weren't actually on track. Mm. That's an organised and smart healthcare system. Mental health is tractable. We can do exactly the same thing. We're just not organised that way. And we've had political commitment, press release, but no actual accountability about doing that. So there's this group now, Australians for Mental Health, people who have had enough, people, consumers, people who've tried to get healthcare sound. This, this, this is ridiculous. We have got to have more community action to demand from our political system less press, less press releases, more accountability. Locally, where you live. Mm. So on the 11th of uh, March, 2022, my prediction for the, you know, you know how in election campaigns, both parties try and boil it down to one sentence. And my prediction is that, well, at least one party is going to try and boil it down to, it's a big, bad, scary world out there. You're right to be scared, but we'll protect you or something like that. Um, so I'll be interested if uh, you're listening to this closer to, late May, and you can kind of get some perspective on how right or wrong I was. But I guess it is a way of how how close, how big an issue do you think mental health can be in this upcoming federal election? Uh, I, I mean, there was one, I reckon, maybe about 10 years ago when Pat McGuire was Australian of the Year, or it might have been 15 yeah, years Pat ago, could- <laughs> where it was a pretty big deal. Was it going to be big in this, in this year? How, can we make it big? Pat, could you get real? Can you have two goes at being Australian? <laughs> yeah. Pat, can you have another go, mate? He's not dead yet. Yeah. You know, the job's still out there. Yes. Yeah. So now this goes back to actually John Howard, et cetera. This and aged care are huge issues. Mm. So one, people say the world's ending. You better stick with us. The others will say the world's not ending. You can afford to change. Yeah. What we need people to do is to go out in their local electorates. Don't worry about that stuff. Right. Forget the national campaigns. Go and ask in the electorates because you know how elections are decided? And this one in particular, electorate by electorate. Mm. Go out, and particularly if you live in a marginal electorate, you've got an independent running in your electorate, or even if you're in a big city electorate with a, with a well-established member of a party, go and ask them. Warren Inch from far north Queensland used to get up and John, ask John Howard every Tuesday morning they met in Canberra, uh, John, what about mental health in far north Queensland? 
This led to the establishment of Headspace, actually. Warren's a great guy. And uh, John eventually said, oh, shut up, Warren. All right, all right. (laughs) And John Howell was actually committed with Maurice Yemmer to actually doing things, Julia Gillard in a similar way. We've had prime ministers take these issues up, Mm. the Kevin Rudd period and certainly the Malcolm Turnbull period. We've had people take this up seriously. But there's a community issue, unless it is expressed by the community. So if I sound a little bit worked up about these things, I was talking to some very senior politicians recently. Ian, if it's a community issue, we'll respond. Which is a bit, I think, myself, they have responsibilities beyond that. But, okay, if it has to be a community See, issue. Cancer is only a community issue to a very small percentage of people because everyone who doesn't have it thinks they'll never get it. So, well, you know, I don't know how many, what percentage of the population has cancer at any one time. It'd only be one or two. So, you know, 98% of people don't care. I mean, the logic in that is ridiculous. Interestingly, cancer do care. People do, I mean, people do care about health and education. If you go and ask people, yeah, people do, do pollsters all the time, what do they vote on? They say they vote on economies, jobs, we all get that. They say they vote on taxes, we kind of all get that. Then they say health and education. Hmm. Within health, it tends to be reduced, as the Labor Party did this last time, to a cancer plan. We don't actually need in Australia a new cancer plan. We have really good cancer services, world-leading, you know. Actually, you can be pretty confident in Australia, wherever you are, that cancer care is pretty good. Better and, you know, it can be better and can always improve. But actually, it's nowhere in Australia can you say mental health care is really good because we haven't ever – this is no one's individual fault, okay. You don't have to say, oh, okay, it's my fault. No, you don't. You just have to say, look, we just never built it that way. Mm. We never had the awareness. We never had the tools. But now it is. And now it is one of the big economic issues, one of the big social issues, and the public knows that. Mm. And the post-COVID era, there's a need for more of it. Rates of anxiety and depression have gone up 25% during the COVID period. It was already a huge issue. So I think Australians, when you talk about children's mental health, youth, and then you talk about ageing and aged care, people do care. And John Howard found that out in focus groups in 2000, <laughs> 2000s. But, no, but, but the thing is to go out and ask. It may sound like a funny thing to ask. Don't ask about, please the car park at the railway station, please go and ask about actually youth mental health services, suicide prevention. What are we going to do locally, please, Minister X, when they turn up in your electorate, or Prime Minister, really good one to ask, or opposition leader, or more importantly, ask the local candidates because mm. it's the expression of that. Because what I'm saying, I'm actually saying seriously, and it really drives me almost to distraction, if you haven't detected this, this is a tractable problem. We can now fix these problems. We can get workforces. We can have awareness. We can engage. We can finance. We're a wealthy country. We can figure out how to do this. But we've got to have a cost of a fraction of a submarine. Right. So I'm a guy who sits around with pointy head guys working out what it would cost. We currently spend eleven billion dollars a year, and that's like only half, less than half of the national disability insurance scheme. Stacks more people. You know, like it's not that expensive, actually. We could spend about $14 billion, $15 billion. We so need spend, to spend more. Sorry, we, when you say $11 billion on mental health. Commonwealth and state. Co- Commonwealth Total. and state combined. Total. Yep. So if we, add, if we increase that by about four. Or four or five. And but mm. is the big but. We have to do it efficiently. Well, yeah. Do if that. we do what we're you doing at the moment. We have to do everything efficiently. No, but at the moment we keep down the track. All those announcements you got on your paper there, James, yeah. they're inefficient. Oh. We'll spend $22 billion by the time we're done. And guess what? We won't have achieved won't have worked. Much. No. Yeah. And then people turn around and go, oh, oh, look at all the money we spent and we didn't fix it. And you go, you know what? Good money into bad systems, right. not good for any of us. So it's got to be coordinated and cohesive, doesn't it? Structural reform. Eco- ecosystem. You know, we did this in the economy. 
Mm. Do Bob we? Hawke and Paul Kenny. Yeah, we went through a period in the 1970s, 1980s. We said, well, 1970s said, look, Australia's got to change, do things more efficiently. We're all better off. Workers are better off. Boss are better off. Economy's better off. And you know what? It was hard. This, you know, this sort of stuff, there's health system reform. People think Medicare and originally Medibank, Medibank, back to Whitlam. Mm. You know, remember, are you old enough? You and me can remember it. Vaguely. Many other people can't. Medi, Medicare, as we know, through the Hawke government. You know, guys, 40 years ago, yeah. <laughs> you know, we got to update, get organised, take it forward. Psychology coming under Medicare, 2001, 20 years ago. We got to update things like iPhones have been invented. Technology's been invented. Awareness is there. But, you know, the reluctance to actually change things to make them better and make them better not by one magical movement in Canberra. The thing that drives me nuts in Canberra is, Ian, what's the one big thing I could do as Prime Minister, Health Minister, whatever, that would fix everything? And, of course, you'd go, you're joking. Like, Mm. what is that? Mm. I want to go the reverse. What are you going to do in every electorate in Australia to make it work? And that's a coordination issue. That's a local issue Mm. of having then the enabling structures through finance, through reform, through structures so that local people can – I've got to say, James, I continue to work in healthcare and be enthusiastic about healthcare because most of the people who work in healthcare are really lovely people. Mm, yes, sir. Made, lives made bad by bad systems. Like, it's easy to attack, and I'm probably the front of the queue, of attacking my psychiatrist friends and my psychologist friends and a lot of other people, you know, for not doing stuff, but they're working in dysfunctional systems. Yeah. They're actually good people working in bad systems, and the end result is you and your family come looking for care and you run into this, What? And if you're lucky enough to know someone who might know something, you might get something. Mm. That's terrible. On my side of the fence, my side of the table, I know there's great stuff out there and there's great people out there that require systems and that requires politics. If I spend a little while, there's a great uh, elderly psychiatrist, Norman Sartorius, previous head of the World Psychiatric Association. He thinks every health professional should spend about 10% of their day in the political advocacy for change in the systems. Wow. It's not good enough to be a professional and just say, oh, well, I've done the best I can do. Because we know it isn't the best we could do. Yeah. But it doesn't change by us just doing what we're doing. We've got to engage in the conversation. We've got to engage, and I'm saying in this pre-election, we've got to engage in the politics. And for those outside the system, like we want a good cancer system because we know we live our lives in denial, but some of us are going to get cancer and then we're going to need it. And some of us are going to get mental health problems. Some of us are going to have kids with mental health problems. We're going to have friends with mental health problems. And what is stark is the difference between the knowledge between what you do when you get cancer or a sore knee. You know exactly what to do. You go to the GP and they funnel you through a very well-organized system. And so many people I know who have someone in their family who's got a mental health problem that needs needs um, assistance, and they ring me up because they know I know you. <laughs> they think that means I know something. They go, I have no idea what to do. Where do I go? Where, like the, It's just people don't know and the system isn't there. And I went to my GP, but they kind of tried, but they didn't. So, yes, Ian's talked about what people inside the system can do, but all of us should do something too, because it could be us or it could be our kids or it could be our friends who actually need that system to work better. So contact Australians for Mental Health because that's the consumer movement. I'm, as I say, I'm not paid by them. I'm, by them. I'm just a supporter, a patron of that. And then go ask. You know those barbecues they're going to have in your electorate? They want to, only want to, I don't know if you know about it, par, parliamentary <laughs> democracy. There's this little period, about one month every three years, right now. when it's possible that your local member, it's possible, some of them are actually, we should do this. Some of them are shy and avoidant and hate doing it. You know, 
You mentioned no, they shy politicians. To to they won't want to talk yeah. to you. But those who do, go and ask them. And when they say, what do you think about the economy and what a great job we're doing I'm, on national I'm defense? I'm actually more concerned about mental health. What actually, are what are you going to do about in, in Bondi Junction? What are you going to do on the Central Coast? What are you going to do in southwestern Sydney? What are you going to do in the Gippsland? Wherever you are, northern Tasmania. And if you live in a marginal electorate, please do it particularly. You know, go and ask them or ask the independents. Go ask anybody. What are you going to do? Mm. And then they'll say, well, 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 you know, we've had announcements. and go, yeah, yeah, but just like you announce the car park at my railway station or the roundabout or the new gym you're going to build, I want you to commit locally to fixing it. And, James, your comment about it's going to happen. Every family, every family, we know every family deals with these issues. Mm. The prevalence is such. We know in cancer, actually, interesting, you are going to get cancer in your life, actually. We're all probably going to live long enough and have to deal with one cancer. But we are very confident and, and we can up. be proud yeah. of the fact that we can. In this area, every family will have to deal with this problem, but every family will not, in the current system, get the care they deserve. Wow. If you've got any questions, comments, want to suggest further topics, send us an email, mindingyourmind2 at gmail.com. That's numeral two. And Minding Your Mind is supported by Future Generation Global and the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health. Further help's available from Headspace, Beyond Blue, Head to Health and Lifeline. Google them or you can call Lifeline on 131114. Hopefully there'll be more organisations like that. Those organisations will grow and we'll all be able to get the care we might need.